Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday to all of you. We are back here on the Steve Day Show. Live and on demand and in the friendly confines. It has been a minute since I've seen my boys here in person. I'm Steve Dace alongside Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. Hopefully everything's okay. You guys are doing well. Yeah, moving right along. We got it's some been a snow minute. for you uh, to welcome yeah, you yeah. back. I mean, I was doing conference calls outside in Dallas earlier this week. Came home to snow, but this time of year, I like seeing it. If it were January 15th instead of December 15th, I'd be a broken man right now. Broken. Yeah. Okay. I can't wait. <laughs> and we're off. Yes. It's good to see that after almost a week of being away, we just fit right back into our former roles and the way that things roll around here. It's right? always go time in the locker room. You it know? is. It is. You keep your head on a swivel here in the men's locker room. Yes. At any point in time, balls <laughs> may be busted. And if you're wondering who's the mark, the mark is you, right? That's how it rolls here uh, in the in the men's uh, locker room where there's actual men. All right. We've got a, a jam-packed show lined up for you today. Um, the story that we finished our best-selling book, Uh, Fauci and bargain with in our conclusion when that book came out last year Uh, the story of Sarah Brady and she's the wife of an Idaho police officer who committed the heinous crime of taking her children to a park outdoors during COVID lockdowns and was arrested and is still fighting a criminal prosecution on this front we're going to get an update on her case yes this is going on in Idaho folks where there might be three Democrats left in the state legislature after this last election. I mean, the numbers are anemic, and yet the spirit of the age knows no bounds. So we'll get an update on her story and what they may portend for the rest of us. That's coming up at the bottom of the hour. Theology Thursday, we're going to finish our year-long book studies that we have done on the three books. We're going to finish the third and final book here, and I'll explain, even though we're only halfway through it, why we're going to finish it this week. All right, I'll explain that when we get to Theology Thursday here uh, in the next hour. And then our final three non-political questions of 2022. So, Aaron, these better be good. One is, guess how many I have uh, thought up? One. Okay. (laughs) All right. Okay, so we have to discuss this before we get to the rest of the show. This this just happened. I mean, one of my best uh, little birdies embedded in the system sent this to me as I was getting ready to jump in the truck and head to the show and I I thought he was trolling me okay I'm like this can't be real okay and he's like it is real I'm like come on all right and then I had a couple of other people I had blaze tv contributor Jill Savage send this to me here just in the in the last 15-20 minutes so the the two men that are I think the only two possible people on earth at the moment who could be the Republican presidential nominee in 2024. And that cycle is going to begin here right after the first of the year here in our backyard in the first of the nation state of Iowa. They both had what they called major announcements so far this week. Both of them did. Right. On Monday, Florida governor Ron DeSantis announced that um, they're launching both gubernatorial probes and a grand jury investigation 
into Pfizer and Moderna. That that he is going to what what you know we were discussing last week if he did this would be pretty risky. He's going after the ultimate sacred cow. Or as Todd likes to call it, the magical power of vaccines. He's going to do it. He is going to step on that down power line. He's not just going to step on, he's going to step to it. He's going to challenge it out in the open. That was his announcement on Monday. 20 minutes ago, after teasing yesterday, a major announcement was forthcoming. Donald Trump announced trading cards. Now, to millennials and Gen Zers, they're known as NFTs. But when we were kids, right, they weren't digital. They came in a pack with gum, right? And, and there was value in owning them based on the value, of the perceived brand value of the person whose likeness was on the front attached to said card, right? Okay. Nobody cares what, what Dunruss or Tops or Upper Deck uh, the, you know, nobody cared about their value. The value was the face on the card, right? Mm-hmm. Very similar to the, the, the schema of an NFT, just in a digital sense. Donald Trump announced he's pimping a new line of trading cards. And I mean, the entire like Trump media network yesterday, I don't know if you guys saw this. I mean, we're trying to guess what this is. I saw guesses like he's uh, going to sue Twitter, you know, uh, the original uh, uh, management of Twitter. For, He's coming for back banning to Twitter. Him. Yeah, he, yeah. I mean, there were people that really thought this was going to be something that was, you know, going to be hugely impactful, you know, to our causes. Instead, basically, we're doing we're doing what the kids today call NFTs, but boomers and and uh, and Gen Xers like us, Todd, we knew them as trading cards, and they came with a pack. At least you got a pack of gum. Okay, that's what we're really talking about. I mean, if, if I'm being honest, what we're really talking about is now that he's an announced candidate and we can't have the RNC pay the legal bills, they've launched this as an initiative to try to pay his legal bills instead. I mean, if we're just being brutally honest, that's really what we're talking about is he's asking you to pay his legal bills. That, that's really what we're talking about. And I say that as someone who believes it's very likely, if not um, metaphysical certitude that almost all of his current medical uh, legal bills are all, you know, uh, a scam, witch hunts as he likes to call them. Okay. But that's essentially what this is, is a, a billionaire is asking you to buy his NFT to help fund his legal bills. That's really what we're talking about. I don't even know what to say to something like that. You know, I mean, i I came in here, we were talking about it when I got in here a little while ago. I mean, I'm kind of gobsmacked. Like, 30 minutes ago, I didn't think this was true, okay? And it actually is. Thoughts? I do have one question. What is the exchange rate of Donald Trump digital trading cards to Shroot Bucks? Do we have an exchange rate on that yet? I don't even know what those are. That's how old I am now. What are those? Shroot Bucks. It's an office reference that... Oh! 75% okay, of gotcha, the audience gotcha. will probably get. Yeah, okay. Which I should have also gotten. My bad. My bad. It's all really comforting to me, actually. I, I had the Aaron... Tr- okay. I, Aaron... Of course it is. There was a long... <laughs> there was a long pregnant pause when Aaron did this to me five minutes before you walked in. I was like, what? 
But then it's just, it's just Trump stakes. It's, it's same as it ever was. Our minds would be blown if Trump really came in and had a revolution of sorts. We wouldn't know what to do with it. This is just Donald Trump once again. So do with it what you will. Like I said, until he's not the weather, I'm just treating him like the, it's just, it's, it, it's just there. It's, there's no new variable involved in this at all. Here's what I, do you think that this analysis for me is fair? We're dealing with a nearly 80-year-old man. I, I doubt he's on the cutting edge of NFTs. And this was likely presented to him by somebody within his inner circle as a revenue stream. Is that a fair assessment, do you think? Assumption? That's yeah. like bet the house on it. Okay. Who the hell is in his inner circle? Well, same people as, again, same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. So this is, you know, kind of... Even though he's out of the inner circle, this is Brad Parscale I was, making all I kinds was, of money, pimping Caitlin. Uh, yep. Don't call me Bruce Jenner's uterus for was, governor of California stuff. Yeah, and and it's other stuff that prevented. Remember, it's other stuff that prevented him from being president again. Not this kind of stuff. This stuff never hurt him. The thing that I will say is someone that got his ass kicked throughout the entire year of 2016 by Donald Trump as when I was on the cruise campaign. The, the thing that was, was his secret sauce was despite his wealth and influence and celebrity and prestige, it, he was, and I, I mean, I, I saw this myself dealing with him individually for a few years leading up to this. He, I found, I liked him a lot found him very like, I remember telling you all that time. I mean, mm-hmm. just very down to earth, very knowledgeable, very likable. He never made you feel like he was better than you. He was above you. And, you know, I used to make the analogy that, you know, you'd, you'd read about Mitt Romney's car elevator at his house. And you'd be like, man, that guy's a douche. I can't stand that guy. Reminds me of any, reminds me of every rich guy that's ever fired me from a job or laid me off right before Christmas or something. You know what I'm saying, right? Mm -hmm. Trump's like, hey, come sit on the gold seat on my toilet on my plane. He's got far more wealth than Mitt Romney does. And you were like, this dude's cool. I want to be like this guy when I grow up. He, He made it about you, us, and not about him, despite his prodigious ego and wealth and celebrity. And that, that was very hard for us to get around because if the guy that has more wealth and celebrity and fame is also going to now be the vote populi candidate in the race, that was very hard for us on the Cruz campaign to construct an opposition strategy to that, right? Because he's kind of has you out cornered on both fronts now, right? Between what we saw last year, uh, touring the country with Bill O'Reilly and lecturing his audience about the jab, lecturing his base at his own rallies about the jab. Now you're you're we're gonna ra- I'm gonna raise money off of you. I'm not gonna pay my legal bills out of my own pocket, or even finance my campaign out of my own pocket. You're gonna fund it for me by furthering my brand. This is a little more Mitt Romney than Donald Trump. You know what I'm trying to say? It's a little bit more like, it's about me, not about you anymore. It's about me now. I just, you're, you're, you're here to serve me now. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not your proxy anymore. I'm not serving you. 
I'm not your conduit to challenge the system. You're, you're here to sustain me. But, you know, listen, I say that as someone that even though I got to know him before almost all of you did and ever thought about supporting him and voting for him, I've never been like a Trumpista or a loyalist. You know, I've had a very complicated relationship throughout the course of my recent career with Donald Trump. Right. I think we've we've pointed out I've probably had every opinion that is that you could possibly have on the right and be intellectually honest over the course of since 2013. I've probably had every one of those opinions. All right. So maybe I'm, I could be reading that completely wrong. And some of you then are audience that are loyalists and, and, and um, you know, love it, may think differently. And if so. I defer to you because, you know, I'm I'm a Trump voter, but I'm not necessarily Trump's base of that mix. Does that make sense? Oh, completely. Okay. That's me, too. All right. So so therefore, you know, maybe I'm looking at it wrong because I don't have that first person relationship with him that you guys do. Some, if not a lot of you in our audience do. And so maybe you don't sense this and I could be dead wrong. And that's why I'll I'll step back. I mean, I think this is tacky as hell. I don't care who's doing it. But um, but I'll step back and, you know, I'll let, uh, let the people tell me who, because your opinions on this matter, frankly, more than mine. Yeah, it's tacky, but it ain't new or different. It, remember, he's, it, it's not the mogul. People, yes, knew about Donald Trump, the mogul, before The Apprentice. But we talked about this at the time. It was The Apprentice that made people think the things that you're talking about with him about how endearing he is, how likable he is. He actually cares about fairness. This is The Apprentice yet again. Not different. I don't see any part about Mitt Romney. And I mean, he's he's definitely older. He's definitely more bitter because of what happened to him. And, things. and I don't blame him for that at all. I, have, we, have I ever been critical of his no, bitterness or anger about no. what they stole an election from him? They robbed his presidency from him. Now, he made it easier on them, for sure, with his own actions uh, during COVID in response. But there's no question they scammed him out of a presidency. There's no question about that. I've never had an argument at all about that. I've never, I've never been against the whole notion of MacArthur saying to the Philippines, I shall return. I don't, I'm a guy, dude. I get it. I got an ego. I get it. I'm, I'm, I don't need any help in the motivation revenge department. I understand that. You know, in fact, if anything, I, I'm in favor of that motivation because that's probably favorable to what we would like a, a, another run of Donald Trump to do and accomplish. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I, give me a vindictive, pissed off, bitter, even more arrogant Donald Trump. Okay. This is carny stuff, man. Okay. This is tacky. But it's always been part of his repertoire. Always. I just don't know who the audience is for something like this. If AOC does something like this, I think it's corny and tacky, not because the idea is, but because I think NFTs are dumb. That's just my opinion. Uh, but you understand because her audience is a lot younger and actually knows what those things are and the function that they serve and maybe wants to support her in, mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. That, that It makes some sort of logical sense. I don't know who your audience, Gen Z millennial audience is for this. It, it is an NFT. It's a digital trading card. I don't know who this is. And he's touting it as a um, as a cool Christmas present. Here's the thing: this is the this is what I said last week. If I were advising Donald Trump, I would change your mi- middle name to three th- three words: Mitch McConnell sucks. That would just make you make yes. make Mitch McConnell my foil. Okay, we're coming up on the twelve days of Christmas. The twelve days of Mitch McConnell sucks. Okay, you know uh, Rand Paul does the airing of grievances on Christmas Eve. 
have an entire airing of grievances about Mitch McConnell and Republican leadership. These are things you don't even have to do and leave Mar-a-Lago for. You can just do and send out press releases or do uh, truth storms or tweet storms, whatever you want to call it. But no, instead we're getting digital trading cards. I just, I don't know, man. Here's a text or tweet I just got from a guy. No, not that Tyler. I saw this. Okay. (laughs) I feel like Ralphie, when he decoded uh, little uh, Orphan Annie's uh, secret message in A Christmas Story, drink more Ovaltine. Yeah. (laughs) But that's, that's a great analogy. That's how I felt back in 2016, though. I was pulling my hair out. We're really going to trade. You were, too. You were on the inner circle. But we're going to pass on the best conservative this movement has made since Ronald Reagan, Ted Cruz. We're really going to do this? And sure enough, we did. I'm not going to pull my hair out again over this kind of stuff. I decoded that thing six years, seven years ago now. So with that said, Aaron's entire montage this morning is dedicated to, like Ron DeSantis, frankly, a political candidate that we love and adore who would have never, ever had a chance, let alone seen the light of day (laughs) without Donald Trump, right? Yeah. So with that said, here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Going to Court. Carrie Lake has launched a lawsuit in Arizona aimed at Katie Hobbs, both in her capacity as a candidate and secretary of state and a bevy of officials from Maricopa County. The following is an outline of Lake's suit, courtesy of pundit Liz Harrington. First, Lake alleges the number of illegal votes cast in Arizona's general election on November 8th far exceed the nearly 17,000 vote margin. The suit says witnesses present at polling centers saw hundreds of thousands of illegal ballots in the election. Lake also cites a cybersecurity expert who worked for nine years in the same lab that certified the Maricopa County voting machines. That individual says the failure seen on election day could not have happened without quote-unquote intentional misconduct. The suit says between 15 and 30,000 Republican voters were disenfranchised because of the machines. It also cites whistleblowers who claim 300,000 ballots had no chain of custody and no way of telling if they were legal. The suit also says Maricopa officials took a page out of the 2020 playbook by allowing tens of thousands of ballots with signature mismatches. When ballots were rejected, whistleblowers allege managers at polling places would reverse and approve said ballots and that those managers were not subject to the accountability of polling place observers. Lake also adds that about 60% of Maricopa County's 223 vote centers had printer and tabulator failures. The suit alleges that disproportionately affected election day voters who wanted to vote for her by a three-to-one ratio. The suit also provides evidence Maricopa Board of Supervisors tried to cover up how many vote centers had lines of over 90 minutes long. In addition, they allege Maricopa County added 25,000 ballots to their totals after Election Day. There are more details in that lawsuit, but those are the highlights. In summary, this was an election overseen by one of the candidates who every poll said was behind and administered by a county full of officials who support said candidate. That's legit. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends over at Tommy John, who make the only underwear that I buy and own these days. And I got an email from uh, Lisa in our audience saying, hey, make sure the ladies know they have some killer bras as well. We've been talking about the fact that they have a line of ladies undergarments, too. But, you know, um, uh, because I'm 
uh, not non-binary. I've not tried any of these and don't know if they're any good. So there's a recommendation from at least one lady in our audience, ladies. But fellas, what I can tell you is this is the best underwear you're ever going to own. Uh, just a fantastic fit, the perfect amount of fit, flexibility, comfort, uh, coolness as well, particularly when we get into the, the warmer months. And right now, if you want to try, they've got great loungewear, not just undergarments, but loungewear too. Go to TommyJohn.com slash Steve right now for 20% off your first order just in time for Christmas. TommyJohn.com slash Steve right now for 20% off just in time for Christmas at TommyJohn.com slash Steve. So, the case that Carrie Lake's attorneys have laid out here, let's discuss this for a couple of minutes. There are very specific claims here. Now, two years ago, there's no cracking the, the two years ago. There were very specific claims made against the state of Pennsylvania, for example. Yes. We just never really truly got to have those adjudicated because we have we had very fantastical theories yes. that took up that soaked up all the oxygen Correct. in the room instead. OK, here we have very specific claims, right? Like either that many machines in Maricopa County failed on election day or they did not correct see what i'm saying yeah so then i mean the number could be less it could be more but but that those events either occurred or they didn't that that so so either this is fallacious on its face either there were either there's the amount of illegal votes that she claims or maybe a little less or maybe more or there's not like there's either that there's either the illegal votes occurred or they did not there's this is what I liked about what I read when I, from her claim when I read her suit last, uh, what was it, late last week, I think, when she filed it, Aaron? Yeah. Friday, I think. Um, and I said, hey, we should maybe some point next week just make this an entire montage, and Aaron graciously obliged us here today. Because what I read were specifics. When I read, and, and, and so these events, they occurred or they did not, Right thoughts i thought during the election you made a really interesting point that you would almost trade her getting elected for not taking one of the houses how you you framed it or something like that because of what she could do well in light of that i think her going all the way with this and bringing clarity to it and then actually becoming governor and just being like mediocre was still a trade kind of like the kavanaugh fight like we have to clear this up you just can't do this to even though, a man, he, might be a mediocre even though he might be a mediocre because yeah. listen it's like i said the most important election of my lifetime this one this if there's no clarity on this kind of thing with this many specifics and we basically get the feeling after this that everybody else the system just blew it off this thing this entire thing called america is a broken arrow it doesn't work anymore mm-hmm. when you cannot get clarity on this level of indictment on something that is as fundamental as anything to a representative democracy it's it's literally the 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 cornerstone of of any kind of social compact it's 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 the it's the it's the thing not the only but it is the primary thing that stops us from shooting each other in the streets over our differences i'll have my say in the end yes we will fight this out at the ballot box and in the end if it doesn't go my way at least my voice was heard and i'll try to get it i'll try to beat you again next time she's making either here let me boil it down to this either carrie lake 
should be laughed off the stage. And I don't just mean in the mainstream. I mean on our own stage. Like, like she should be Sidney Powell, laughed off the stage. Every one of her attorneys involved in this court filing should be disbarred. Or, see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's, that, that's, that's what you get with specific claims. These things happened or they didn't. So either she's a fraudster and her attorneys ought to be disbarred for filing these evidences into the record of a court. Or? I'm going with or. Is there, it, it, am, I, am I overselling this? Is there, is, is, there, is there a middle? There is. I mean, maybe some of her claims are true. Maybe oh, some of them are so wrong. But as a whole, as a whole, there's, this is an either or to me. It, like with Trump, it is possible in my mind that a grave amount of cheating happened and she and he still lost. That is possible. And the most important thing in that context is we got to stop that level of cheating because we can't do this every single election. So I'm skeptical that any or even most of these claims are actionable in a court. For instance, uh, the number of disenfranchised voters. Would it shock you that upwards of 10,000, maybe even 15, 20,000, as they're claiming, uh, Republicans were disenfranchised because of the voting machines and mm-hmm. the tabulate? No, it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. How do you prove that? And you'll say, well, you can, uh, you can uh, run the number of check-ins versus number of ballots dropped. That doesn't say anything about who's standing in line. That doesn't tell me anything about who is standing in line. But how do you prove that? It's, it's tough to prove unless you've got detailed security camera. It wouldn't sh- shock me at all, and it might be true. And none of, none of this matters, you know, whether or not it's legally actionable in court. Whether or not it's true is our main concern. I will say one thing for sure that caught my eye is the handwriting or the uh, signature curing. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. It's like there's a record of that. That's hanging they, Chad kind of stuff. That's hanging Chad. Yep. Uh, there's a record of that. Either they match or they don't. Mm-hmm. Either they match or they don't. Uh, or you can just you know say they uh, they match and because that takes us right? back to Pennsylvania and chain of custody yep. all over See, again. Yep, and, and the stuff the other, we should have adjudicated in 2020. And we didn't. When do a I damn sat thing. here this time of year, we didn't yelling at thing. you every day, we're running out of time. They're going to certify yeah. the electoral college right now in the middle of December. They're going to certify this election on January 6th. Feel free to try to decipher the flowchart for Dominion voting machines. You'll never get those answers by the time they certify this thing. Run out the clock. The game's over and we lose go where you have a chance to make an objective claim and that was always in my opinion the chain of custody questions and that's what you're talking about is are raised again here in arizona yeah so either they match or they don't that's pretty easily provable and they're saying i can't remember what the it was in the news in the montage but it was i think thirty thousand something like that maybe I'm, I'm off base there the other thing that i think might be actionable uh, or be able to be uh, proved is there a digital fingerprint of some sort on all of these malfunctions at 60% of the locations? Is there some sort of common error that you can point back to a common source with those? That might be actionable as well. Some of those other things, uh, like uh, disenfranchisement, people dropping out of lines because the line was too long. Mm-hmm. You know, Certainly, they, they raised this as well. Maricopa tried to cover up evidence or tried to cover up the fact that uh, lines were in excess of 90 minutes long. That certainly lends itself to disenfranchisement right there, but it's you're, it's really tough to, to prove. To me, you're still begging the question, the, the getting out of uh, line because of technological breakdowns. Listen, the, 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 it's not that's not a quirk in the system. 
that's by design with this system, and that should become increasingly clear. To me, this is like instant replay in football. The more we have technology involved with this, the less we know what a catch or a vote is. That's a problem. The the median income of the average family in Maricopa County is $73,000 a year, guys. Okay, $73,000 a year. That, that is the median income of Maricopa County, well above the national average. The percentage of Americans who make over $75,000 a year is something like less than 15 to 20%. We are talking about one of the wealthiest counties in the country. And look at the stuff that's going on in this election. It's a banana republic. Yes. It's freaking Ecuador, guys. Yeah. What, what's the benign, innocent explanation for that? There is none, much- which is why you've been tweeting. Poor Katie Hobbs is getting the David French treatment from Todd Erzin right yeah. now with hashtag arrest Katie Hobbs. Yes. There isn't one. That's why you started the hashtag. Yes. There's no other conclusion to make. The median income in, in Maricopa County is about twice the national is almost twice the national average. And yet it's freaking like voting in Ecuador. There's no benignness and explanation. So the only possibility then is hashtag arrest Katie Hobbs, right? That's the conclusion you came to. And also the one yesterday, the people are the problem. I have so much contempt for people that just sit and watch their lives happen like this. Just very quickly as well. When we're at this point, folks, this is really dark. I don't want to end the segment on this, but I will. When we're at this point, there's no, there's no solution. There's really no solution. They're just, once they've allowed the cheating to enter the bloodstream, they're going to figure out a way to do it, no matter the system. More in a moment. As we continue to let's go, Brandon, the economy. Now's a great time to make a move into precious metals. Find out why rare commodities have been the place smart, prosperous people have protected their prosperity from government debasement schemes for centuries. Line up and sign up with our friends over at bullionmax.com right now. Get their silver starter kit. They're going to offer it to you at employee pricing. They can't make it any more inexpensive than that. Get the Bullion Max silver starter kit at employee pricing that includes the popular silver American Eagle coin and more. You can get this special deal right now, limited though, limited though to just one per household because of how special it is. All right. So go to bullionmax.com slash Steve right now. That's bullionmax.com slash Steve. Get the silver starter kit at employee pricing right now at bullionmax.com slash Steve. We go back to the spring of 2021, and uh, Todd, you and I wrote a number one bestseller, Fauci and Bargain, the most powerful and dangerous bureaucrat in American history. And in the conclusion, which you took the lead in writing the conclusion uh, of the book, you tell the story of Sarah Brady. An Idaho mom who committed the heinous crime during COVID like lockdowns of taking her children to the park outside. And for that, she was arrested. That would be awful enough, except the people arresting her work with her husband, 
her husband was a local police officer as well, as I recall. Correct. Yeah. And so you and I found out someone tipped us off. Might have even been the Brady's. I don't know. I can't remember. Just like about a week ago. This case is still going on. Yeah. It is still going on. Now, after this last election, I think what are the Democrats down to like four? I'm not kidding. It might be like four or five Democrats are left in the Idaho legislature at this point. And yet they are continuing to terrorize this poor woman whose husband is a public servant to make an example out of her, even in the allegedly deep red state of Idaho. Do I have that correct? Yeah. And that's why it's so important we have them back on. That is why we have them on right now. Let's welcome them to the program. It is good to have the Brady family back with us. Sarah and Tim Brady, Merry Christmas to both of you. How are you? We're doing well. Merry Christmas to you as well. Good. Thank you. So there have been some odd couplings in the past, guys. You know, you think of um, uh, James Carville and Mary Matlin, you know, two people from different sides of the political tracks. How does it work in the Brady household where a cop is married to a hardened criminal on the lam? How does that work? You know, it's uh, <laughs> we, we, we just we agree to disagree. Yeah, you look the other way. Right. Yeah. Uh, she goes around committing her crimes, and I just pretend like I don't notice. Hear no evil, see no evil. So, so Sarah, let, tell us the story again. You just take your kids to the park during COVID lockdowns outside, right? That's it. Yes. So April 21st of 2020, I took two of my four children to the playground a couple houses down from where we lived. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful day, and I sit down with some friends, and I'm not there for probably more than five to ten minutes, and three officers showed up, and I'm like, oh, great. And so, um, you know, I think the rest is kind of history, because everybody's seen the video, but to just recap, um, these officers came, and they started kicking moms and children off the playground. Children are crying. Moms are not thrilled about it. And um, being as I am married to a police officer and I am less nervous about being around law enforcement because of that, Mm -hmm. I started asking a lot of questions like, um, why is the playground closed down when the virus can die in the sun? And why can we go to Walmart and Lowe's when, um, you know, again, this taxpayer paid playground is shut down? And why can kids be in cop cars to celebrate their birthday parties? Anyway. um, Not to mention the fact, guys, that while this was happening, there were people playing basketball. There were people sitting at picnic benches. Hmm. Uh, they told Sarah and the other to congregate in this like little grassy area. That was okay, but being on the playground, all that kind of stuff was not. And just to be very clear, I never actually touched the playground equipment, which was what they had wrapped up with tape and actually closed. And at one point, this one officer in particular pointed to me and said, I'm giving you five seconds. And you know, see, there's just this moment where I'm standing there and I know I've done nothing wrong. And even if I was touching the playground equipment, I still wasn't doing anything wrong. And I just, you know, the only time you should be counting down at a playground is to a child. And I just said, (laughs) fine, arrest me for being in a park, do it. And I turned around and they arrested me and and put me in the back of the cop car. We mentioned you're a policeman as well, Tim. Are these your colleagues that arrested your wife? So this is a neighboring jurisdiction. Uh, It's not my department. Uh, However, the particular uh, police officer that arrested him, I've worked with for going on 15, 20 years. So I knew him personally. When I got called to the park, we had a little bit of a verbal exchange uh, that probably wasn't pleasant, shouldn't be repeated on air. Uh, but he's, I'm, I'm very familiar with him, with that department. I work with him quite regularly. Tim, help me understand, even in Idaho, 
people are willing to essentially say the famous last words, I'm just following orders. I'm arresting moms. Yeah. How, how does this happen? I, I, I think we were, were shocked to see stuff like this, you know, even in blue states. How does it filter down into a place where if you all see a Democrat on the streets, they call 911, Tim. They don't know what that is. They think it's a, it's a home invasion. They know what a Democrat is in your state. All right, that's how red it is. Sure. And yet moms are getting arrested for going to the park, and there are cops who will say, yes, I'll do that for a living. Help our audience understand the ecosystem within your, within your, your profession that, that no conscience stands up and says, I don't know that this is what I got into this to do, man. You know, Steve, having listened to your show as long as I have, and and you guys regularly speak about how we just as a populace have gotten lazy uh, with with our rights and uh, our beliefs and where our core values come from. And I really think that's kind of the same thing that's happened uh, amongst those in, in the police world. You know, when <clears throat> Idaho and our area is probably uh, more blue than the rest of the state. Uh, but when COVID was happening and mask mandates and all that kind of stuff, it, uh, there was a division within uh, as well for those of us that are willing to or were willing to stand up against it and those of us that weren't. And it really, I think, just comes down to a comfortability of, you know what, this is my job and I don't want to lose my job. It's a, it's a steady paycheck. It's, you know, I want my retirement. It's all that goes into that. And it's easy to rationalize, I think, uh, in some circumstances. And I don't want to speak for everybody. You know, it was a crazy time. It wasn't anything that anybody that I had worked with for, you know, as long as I have. I've been a cop almost 21 years. Uh, it really took us by surprise. Uh, and it was it was really just kind of one of those things that I don't think anybody expected. And a lot of us didn't know how to deal with it. And some of us came around. It, it took a little bit of time. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, we just we, we still have those that are, you know, they're going to put the ideal of uh, a secure paycheck and putting money on their food or I mean food on their table uh, above doing the right thing. So Sarah, walk us through now, and this will be a three-year ordeal next spring, all right, for you legally. Walk us through what has, what has transpired, what the legal process has been for you and where it stands now. Sure. So after I was um, taken to jail and booked out, uh, and now at the time in Ada County, they'd let out about 300 inmates due to COVID, of course. That was a standard thing that was happening across the country. About a week later, I found out uh, due to the fact that Tim is a police officer of the prosecuting um, department that the attorney general of Idaho would then be prosecuting the case. Mm -hmm. Since then, mm -hmm. I've had two motions to dismiss denied by my judge. I've had two trials canceled, not by me, but by the state of Idaho, due to the fact that in Idaho, if there's 25 cases out of 100,000 citizens in Ada County, trials would be suspended. So that happened not just one time, but two times. And on the second time that it happened, I had spent $18,000. And so now I'm on my fourth lawyer. Uh, I have a, a third trial set for January 24th and 25th of 2023 assuming that they don't suspend that one as well. They've offered you ways to get out of this so they can save face, right? Sure. Yes, they offered me a infraction, a $50 infraction, if I would just plead guilty. But at the end of the day, first of all, my innocence is not worth $50. Secondly, if this is really about $50, I'm pretty sure the state could come up with $50. And there's way more money being invested in this case than $50. Mm -hmm. There's no way 
on God's green earth that I'm pleading guilty, especially not at this point, not after they've drugged me through the mud for, I'm almost at a thousand days of doing this for a misdemeanor trespass. And look what's happened, Steve. We look back over the last two and a half years, who's wrong? Not me. But if they don't want to set the precedent that they are accountable to the people in any way, shape, or form. That's what this is about. They don't want to, they don't want to set that precedent. And, it's, it, and that's been comprehensive, you guys, and you know this. I mean, that's why there could have been umpteen times that they could have said since March 16th of 2020, okay, we overreacted to this, so we shouldn't have done that. All right, you know, it turns out data says it's not as bad here. Okay, they never did it once. They never, of their own volition, ever once stepped back and showed any empathy, any self-awareness, any humility at all. Any drawbacks they have ever done with these restrictions were done because they were forced to do them. They don't want to set the precedent, these government officials, even in a state, I know I joke, there's like four Democrats in the Idaho legislature. In reality, 87 of the 105 seats, when your legislature convenes in January, 87 of the 105 seats in Idaho will be Republicans. 87 out of 105. 87 out of 105. And yet even there, all right, in a red state like that, they don't want to admit that government is accountable to people like you. Well, and Steve, on top of that, we actually have it on video that the outgoing attorney general who's prosecuting Sarah actually was questioned at like a a kind of a campaign town hall. uh, And he's on video saying that he's been ready to prosecute this case since day one. So, you know, it's, you know, it's the rhino mentality. You know, it's, we have it here as well. Very few true Republicans here. So how can our audience help? At this point, we are expecting, we have trial in about, well, five weeks. Uh, we've been told by our attorneys that it's gonna cost you know, more money uh, at this point for the trial. The, uh, all, of, all of the money went to the motion to dismiss. Uh, there were multiple issues that were brought up uh, in the dozens, if I remember correctly, that was all denied. Uh, at this point, we are asking um, for support financially just to make it through the jury trial. And, you know, we have a new uh, attorney general coming in uh, that we're hopeful that we'll do the right thing, but it's not a guarantee and it's going to be early when he's in office. And uh, that's that's really what, you know, and, and prayer really is that some people will make the right decision uh, would be actually the most important thing that we would ask for is, is people's prayers. Uh, and then, you know, uh, after that, any financial support uh, that people would be willing to do would be fantastic. Where can they send that support? Um, I have a Give, Send, Go. If you go to Give, Send, Go and type in Sarah Brady, you can find my... And that's Sarah, S-A-R-A, correct? Correct. So go to Give, Send, Go, type in Sarah Brady if you want to support this family um, who has stood up to this even for the last two years and has been offered numerous opportunities to, as Sarah put it, my innocence is worth a lot more than, is, is, is worth a lot more than $50. But, but this is about, the state doesn't, they're not, they don't want this to be about justice. They want to preserve the precedent that they can do this and save face. And that's what you're, you're a threat against well, that, again. even in a state like Idaho. Yes, that's absolutely what we're fighting against. And as somebody that's been in the system, I've worked for the government for 21 years, you are 100% spot on. Uh, I absolutely agree. And it is, we, we have a government now and we, we elect people or they're appointed into positions or whatever the case may be, that they will not, uh, in most circumstances, uh, admit that they're wrong. And 
they just we, we just don't live in an area or in, in an era where people will do the right thing anymore and that's that's exactly what we're pushing up against well and i think at the end of the day good people will do the right thing good people do the right thing and i'm doing the right thing by not bowing down to something that at the end of the day i didn't do anything wrong and you know i think one blessing we can look at with covid at least in my perspective is it's really brought out the true colors people will do the right thing if they're good people we just haven't found very many good people along the way involved with this a lot of support but the people involved in the system have not been they've shown their true colors like sarah said no they're they're, they're nice they're nice to you but they're cowards oh, sure. they're not brave yeah and so yep. they think that nice equals good and courage matters a lot more than nice in determining what yes. is or what isn't good. And that's in short supply Absolutely. these days. Well, givesendgo.com slash support Sarah Brady. Sarah, again, is S-A-R-A, no H. So givesendgo.com slash support Sarah Brady if you want to help them as they are in a fundraising drive to pay her legal fees to push back on what was done to all of us to some extent over the last uh, two and a half plus years. And they're still doing to us uh, and would do to us again and even more if we gave them the opportunity. God bless your family. Merry Christmas to you guys. Uh, Hope we helped get the word out and helped your family during this holiday season and appreciate your willingness to not bend the knee to the chocolate bunny. All right. God bless. Thank you, guys. Appreciate your support. You you bet. Take care, guys. Thank you. I know this resonates with you, Todd, because you've been in this situation. Good grief. I'm just so mad. Uh, this is, is it Aaron Oren McIntyre who coined it or the, the process is the punishment? This is what they're doing. They're just trying to exhaust them. And God bless you guys, Brady's, for not giving up. A lot of you people ask me, uh, and, and you certainly ask Steve, you know, infinitely more, you know, what am I supposed to do? Every one of you, you find, you take this clip from this show and you spam it out to everybody you know in Idaho and you surround that city hall there you surround that police station you surround that county courthouse uh, you surround the offices of all of those 87 Republican he's talking about and if you do we should hear back in a a, a, by New Year's Day that this is over because you threatened to do to them what these people are threatened to do with the Brady's if you would do that none of this crap would happen how willing are you people in all your comfort willing to have that boot on your throat to keep that comfort this is sickening this ends now if you're serious the republican attorney general of idaho believes that government is god the republic increasingly with increasing frequency we are learning that republicans are not just not fond of you they are often your enemy along with the spirit of the age or are even co-opted by it there were a number of times it's been two and a half years now two and a half years for taking her kids to the playground where the government could have just said this is not worth our time let's actually let's just let's say we'll drop the charges you sign an nda you never get to talk about this publicly and let's just be done with this no they didn't do that why there's only one reason there's only one reason why they're taking this to the hilt. It's because the government of Idaho thinks that it's God. You want to talk about the uniparty. 
You want to, there's let's, really let's no start, difference let's start this. talking about the unispirit. Yeah, there, there you go. And there's no, there's really, it's the same spirit that does this to a family like the Brady's that lights up the White House in rainbow colors yep, this correct. week. Same exact spirit of the age. No difference. Only difference is in degrees and form. Hour two is next. Back here with Hour 2 live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox, which you can access by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, and Gab. You can follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Getter, TikTok, and Instagram. And the last name is D-E-A-C-E. Don't forget to don't forget to get easy for me to say fast or not. Don't forget to get clips of the show that are free of any censorship. Free to watch when you go over to rumble.com slash Steve Day Show as well. And then finally, if you are a podcast listener, thank you very much. Please, if you wouldn't mind, if you've yet to do this, leave us a five-star review, hit subscribe or follow, uh, whichever applies to the podcast preference of your choice. And thanks to all of you that have done those two kind gestures for us. We greatly appreciate each and every every one of you. This part of the show, otherwise known as Theology Thursday, brought to you by Real Estate Agents I Trust. Because in these unprecedented times, you should absolutely not even contemplate for a second, a nanosecond even, venturing into the murky waters of a real estate market, which are murky and stressful, even in the best of environments. But how about right now with Let's Go Brandon, Let's Go Brandoning Things, Make sure you get an agent that can help you and you can trust to get you from the start to a successful finish. And where would you find them? Well, the name says it all. Head over to realestateagentsitrust.com. It's a network database of agents that we have vetted so they've earned our trust before we entrust you to them. That's why we have a waiting list, a long one, of agents who want to be recognized in our referral network because we don't just take anybody. We vet them before we introduce you to them. Here's how the process gets going. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com today, provide us some basic info, and then our team will contact you to make an introduction to one of our preferred agents at realestateagentsitrust.com. We are finishing our year-long three-part book study for Theology Thursday today, because this is the last Thursday of the year that we will be on. Next week, we are on Monday through Wednesday. I have that right, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. We are on Monday through Wednesday next week. Monday. Those are the final three shows of the year. On Monday, we will do a regular Monday show. Tuesday will be our special two-hour year-end day group. That's always a ton of fun. Which just reminded myself, I need to finish answering my questions. I need to start. <laughs> of course you do. Uh, so our um, our co-host, our co-panelist this year is our good friend Paul Alexander, who's running communications for Tulsi Gabbard. Now he did when she was a presidential candidate. Now that she's a 
uh, a media figure. He's still helping her uh, produce her media. So he'll be joining us. And then our colleague Sarah Gonzalez is going to join us for the first time for the year-end day scripts. Remind me to ping her to make sure she's got her questions ready to go. Got it. Okay. So that'll be live next Tuesday. And then Wednesday will be the final show of the year. We'll get into Todd and Aaron's rankings of the top 10 stories of the year. We'll look back on my 10 predictions for the year and laugh because I guarantee you like none of them happened. Um, do we do that at the first of the first show of the year, the predictions reconciliation? Or do we do? No, we do that at the end of the year. We do show. that at the end of the yeah. year. And then I lay out the new ones. Gotcha. The first show gotcha. of the year, which I have to tell you, man, I'm, I am, I'm on struggle bus and I'm in a, I'm an, and I'm in a traffic jam right now. I'm on the struggle bus and we are stalled trying to figure out how to out predict this current environment. I you, wouldn't even try if I were you. No, you, you, but I wouldn't even try. How do, how do you out predict this current environment? How do you do that? You're going to try. Like I, I said, I'm, I'm going to try. It's just, you a, have it's a, a Ouija to try, board? but <sighs> consult Captain Howdy. Yeah. See what he thinks. Well, he is after all the one calling the shots. So he would know if you know what I'm saying, G. Okay. So that will be our final show of the year next Wednesday. And then we're not back because Aaron apparently thinks that him and Bella are deserving of a honeymoon that they didn't get to take or something. So it's a redo. It's a redo. Yeah. So we're not back again until January 9th. So we're not back the first Monday in January. We're back the second Monday in January. But you will get a new show from us in between. It just won't be here. We are filling in for Glenn Beck. I want to say it's the 29th of December, right? We're right. doing the Beck show. Okay. Okay. So we're doing uh, Glenn Beck's program on December the 29th. That might be good just to make sure we're not rusty with that long of a layoff, right? So that's the housekeeping and that brings us now to the conclusion of Theology Thursday. And, and, and we're finishing the, the book, Thank God for Bitcoin, here. Because the, the two chapters we're going to talk about this week are the final two chapters that get into the broader economic issues and questions that we are wrestling with as a people right now. And then the rest of the book is specific advocacy for Bitcoin, which after losing 60% of my investment into Bitcoin that I made last January, I frankly am not in any form of mood <laughs> to do any kind of ad advocacy for Bitcoin. Now, I didn't, I didn't invest in it uh, for an ROI. I invested in it because I believe in what it is trying to accomplish. I, I did so missionally, all right? That being said... Um, and that's why I'm not pulling the rest of my money out of it. But that being said, I'm also really not in any mood. Not that I, w I was hoping I'd lose 60% of my investment in a year, right? Okay. I'm, I'm not in a place right now to sit here and advocate for it to our audience, given my own current experience. But I do appreciate the broader economic questions that this book has been tackling. I know you have as well, Todd. Mm -hmm. And so since these next two chapters are kind of the end of that part of the book, this is where we're going to end our study of this book. All right. So let us get into it here on Theology Thursday. The final study that we're doing takes a look at how the spirit of the age has corrupted our economy. And that's what these final two chapters are going to be. Both the moral consequence of corrupt money and then how bad money even corrupts the church. Where do you guys want to begin since we're going to do both chapters at once here? Well, I can... I'll start with the last chapter first because it, it all resonated with me, but I, I didn't even need to make notes about that. I was on my uh, parish council, gosh, 15-ish years ago now, and I remember things were getting a little uh, 
contentious uh, and a 70 some odd year old accomplished man who had you know been there and done that um, but he tried to play wise old man with me and I'm this is a rough paraphrase it's been a while but he basically gave me the you have to understand son th- th- this is a business and I looked at him and I said no it's not it's a church and that lays out how much our churches now operate as primarily as anything else and they'll say they're not and not as overtly as that man said to me the priest or the pastor won't but when you spend as much time as i know in my church when it comes around it's time for the diocesan annual appeal and they'll spend a whole second sermon talking about the importance of making sure you do your part on that when you know damn well you've been sitting in church faithfully like you're supposed to as a catholic and you, you maybe collectively the amount of time that you've heard about marriage about abortion about freedom of religion you you you, you add all of it up and you spill spent you spend way more time hearing about the money the money the money i know that that's a cancer it's going on uh in my uh church the catholic church i'll let aaron and uh steve speak to their experience because listen tithing an obligation but i'll tell you what if you have tithing number one and then it's space bar space bar space bar everything else i'm gonna sleep well at night making sure the message you get is before you dig into my pocketbook, you better be damn well as serious about saving souls, saving babies, advocating for marriage, making sure groomers aren't grooming my teachers. I'll tell you what, Steve, I, I just want to echo again. This, I, I did not see this book coming and the impact it was going to have on me. Well, I, I might even argue that ecclesiastically it is worse in the evangelical church. Um, be, because of the, of the independence of denominations and ministries, and because of the lack of context that small T tradition would provide that has been vanquished from American evangelicalism and Western evangelicalism as a whole, you end up with Joel Osteen having the largest quote-unquote evangelical church in America. And it's, it's really just a, it's a life coach money changer operation. Um, you, you see this with a, with a lot of what passes as quote unquote Christian television right now. Um, whether it's name it and claim it, word of faith, um, you know, prosperity gospel, health and wealth, whatever, um, you know, term du jour you apply to it, it. It's the same thing. It's, it's, it's about focusing on the external rather than the, than, than the internal, right? I mean, Jesus, as, as you pointed out, it's not what goes into your body that makes you corrupt. It's what comes out, right? Um, and then to put an even finer point on it, the most, the most successful launch of a, ch- of, of a Christian church or a Christian church movement, and when I say successful, I mean in terms of numbers, in the last 40 years in America was Saddleback Church and Rick Warren. Saddleback Church began by taking a poll. 
by asking the people in the local community, why don't you come to church? And then essentially, how do we then answer your objections? How do we cater to you? Oh, this, I know what you're That's doing. what we're talking about. Yeah. As opposed to, I mean, we all know this is something we'll agree on as Catholics or Protestants. The, the, the reason people don't go to the church generally is the same. You're a sinner and you don't want to be told that. I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, I didn't start actively going to church till you know, I was almost 30 years old. That's why I didn't go many years. I don't want to get up in the morning and be told, be confronted. I don't want to do that. I like my sin. Love my monkey. I'm polishing it constantly. I like my idols. You know, they give me comfort, pleasure. I don't, I don't want somebody smashing those in my face. Well, now all of a sudden, and this is what launched the so-called church growth movement, came from two ministries in America, Willow Creek in Chicago, where the pastor who was responsible for that ended up getting discredited for relationships with women that were not his wife or advances upon women that were not his wife, if I recall. And then Rick Warren at Saddleback. These were the, the two, Bill Hybels at Willow Creek and Will, Rick Warren at Saddleback. These, these two individuals and these two ministries greatly... The two most influential things in modern, really since, since, since the purging of, 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 of liberals out of the Southern Baptist Convention in the 80s, in the 70s and 80s, the, the, the next two most influential movements within the American evangelical church, after, after the Southern Baptist Convention was brought back into orthodoxy, after it it, it, it flirted with, with, frankly, the stuff it's flirting with again right now, okay? After it was brought back to orthodoxy, the next two most important events in, in American evangelicalism were the launch of TBN and the, and the prosperity gospeling of the country, the Paula Whites, the Creflo Dollars, et al. Um, they became omnipresent with satellite programming both on cable and basic TV starting in the, in the night in the eighties and in the nineties, but it re- this stuff really took off in the two thousands. And then it would be the church growth movement founded by Bill Hybels and Willow Creek and Rick's Rick Warren and Saddleback. And that's all. Con- and and bo- what do both of those things have in common? Listen, there's a lot of differences, probably both in terms of personal integrity, humility between Creflo dollar, Benny Hinn and people like, Rick Warren. I'm not comparing him to them on a human level, but but they're but theologically they're they're peddling the same where consumerism, a me first centered church catering to you. Now Warren Warren may do it in a in a chummier way, and he might not necessarily be ripping you off the way these other guys likely are. Okay, but it's the same scam. It's the it's the tickling of your ears. It's it's consumerism. That that mammon is God in the end. And mammon is God literally in the case of the prosperity gospel, in the case of the church growth movement, the fear that confronting you may cause you to leave makes mammon passively God. Mammon is actively God in the prosperity gospel, Joel Osteen, Creflo Dollar, Benny Hinn world. Mammon is passively God within the church growth movement that we can't, we're hyper, we're, we're beyond Arminius now. We might be just back all the way back to Pelagius. We wouldn't, we wouldn't dare, you know, you have so much free will and so much freedom and independence. We wouldn't dare offend you because you might never choose Jesus and end up forever in hell. And by the way, that gives us a convenient excuse to never have to do anything hard or difficult that might offend people whatsoever. And so our growth statement every quarter looks great. Is that what you're talking about? Oh, yes. And that's really that consumerism is what the previous chapter 
is largely about mm -hmm. is that we we're making ourselves so comfortable that we're not able to love our neighbors as ourselves because we 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 don't feel called to interact with them we actually end up wanting to distance uh, ourselves from them uh, in our comfort. They say the irony of it is that the more people get together with this mindset, you, 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 the critical mass doesn't solve it. It makes it worse. The largest cities are some where you're just constantly surrounded by strangers that in you increasingly see as an other and you hold in contempt. And I really, I'm in reading this, this is, it definitely echoes uh, the tragedy of American compassion. Your charity, you outsource your charity. It's a systems problem. It's a government's problem instead of your problem. And that's really was at the guts of why I hate what's happening with realignment in college football so much, because this is what they're doing to each other. You're taking these, following the dollar, you're ruining all of these great communities that have formed up over time. The, you know, the big 10, in the Pac-12, and then you'd come together at the end, and you'd share a part. But now we're, we're it, it's filtering down into everything. And now even the hobbies. This is the problem. The hobbies that we used as innocent escapes. The ones that this one's just for me. And I, mm -hmm. no, it's going to ruin it all, Steve. It wants it all. You will have no outs. The love of money is the root of yes. all forms of evil. Yes. Yeah. And so when 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 you have you know George Washington famously compared Aaron government to a fire, a necessity, a, something that is needed, but left unattended, rages and, and consumes and becomes a, a, a tool of destruction, right? And this is the thing, this, th when you have a currency that is tethered to something finite and constant, this is where you recognize, hey, we, money is a necessity, in terms of motivating people to be productive, to achieve, to take risk, to, um, uh, to, to initiate real forms of human progress, not the fake regressive pagan stuff we're doing today. That, that, that you know, though money is the, is the incentivization model for that human flourishing to continue uh, despite our sinful selves. When, however, you untether it from that finite standard, Money itself now becomes the standard. Money for money's sake. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. Profit for profit's sake. Right. We're just talking about technocratic soullessness now, right? Yep. And you talk about money as a necessity for, uh, for getting people motivated, rewarding hard work or rewarding work at all. Money is also a necessity when government believes it is God and removes God and becomes God. Money is the necessity for control over those people as well. You cannot control a totally and utterly people unless you control their supply of money. Mm -hmm. Now, this book, Thank God for Bitcoin, was published late November of 2020. I dare say you've been through the book publishing um, you know, process a, a few times, a yeah. few times. Yeah. Uh, it probably was not, it was probably written prior to 2020, I would, I would guess, or maybe finished early in 2020. Went straight to paperback, maybe a little bit later. There are a few paragraphs here, prophetic, that are absolutely prophetic, yeah. about what we went through through COVID, and especially the jabs. On the section of modern debt slaves, society is drowning in so much debt that it has become normalized. Yet most people understand that debt isn't a good thing, and in many households, it's a significant source of stress. Debt causes people to work not at what they like or are talented in, but what pays the most. Ethical considerations 
of taking a job, making a profit, or even working the job itself are often disregarded because of the urgency of debt repayment. We become enslaved to debt to the point of money being the major factor in just about all of our decisions. Mm -hmm. In the section about materialism, in the United States, upwards of 80% of people live paycheck to paycheck. A community that doesn't plan for the future devolves into chaos. A community that plans does much better. Bad money creates less incentives to plan for the future. If we lived and there's no such thing as a perfect world east of Eden, we all know that. But if we had a monetary system that actually rewarded people for saving money, that didn't punish that through inflation, if we had a system where people were encouraged to plan for the future just by saving money, and we're not even talking about investing, do you think it would have been harder or easier for people to say, I'm not taking your damn jab? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This has everything. Yes. It goes back this to last hour, Aaron. has yes. everything yes. to do with what we have exactly. witnessed over the last two years. Yeah, it goes back, Aaron, to last hour when I asked Tim Brady about how do your colleagues exactly. that you Correct. work with at the local police department in freaking Idaho come out and arrest your wife for being at a playground? What do you say? Worried about my pension. Worried about my yeah. retirement. And here's the Worried about my paycheck. And here's the delineation as well. Are those officers at fault here? Absolutely. They should know better. Are they the only ones at fault here? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. We have generations of this fiat money, this immoral money system that is just, that is forced, forced, we're not all victims, but has kind of corralled all of us into this position. So are, are we at fault? Yeah. Are we the only ones at fault? Absolutely not. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. They had, We got used to denying reality on the fiscal end decades ago. Mm -hmm. That became normative. That's why that's, now this groomers stuff like, well, yeah, we've, we've got, it's psychology. That's been demonic psychology that's been working us. And it talks about this thing very, here. Multinational conglomerates have access to cheap debt that isn't available to the average small business owner. And they have the ability to grow much bigger than they would without the cheap source of capital. This means that companies and governments are able to grow far beyond what would be possible in a competitive free market, which then inevitably becomes abusive. For example, a regulatory body like the FDA that is supposed to make sure food production isn't contaminated instead allows for all sorts of abuses this is usually due to industry lobbied legislation and bribery in the form of former regulators being hired for large sums under their stint in government and yes that is exactly what we were talking about in the brady's how does it happen because this becomes normative we are fish swimming in water and you can't even you can't even relate anymore to the notion of what it means to be out of water. This is the only economic system we know. Grift, bizarre, chaotic, decadent levels of codependence. It's demonic. Let's expand this to another front. Robert Malone, back on Twitter. Him and Peter McCullough are the first two COVID major named banned COVID dissidents that Elon Musk has restored. All right, so Robert Malone, was crucial and the uh, a pioneer in the early development of mRNA technology. One of the more renowned virologists, well, pre-COVID, living in America today. Peter McCullough may be the most renowned cardiologist this country's ever produced pre-COVID. And they just got their Twitter accounts back. 
Robert Malone tweeted this about a half an hour ago. It fits into right what both of you were just saying. A one-size-fits-all model for healthcare delivery, including for infectious disease for the entire world, is naive at best and most likely driven by the profit-making machines of big pharma. Regulatory capture of governments and NGOs, including the World Health Organization, appears to be complete. That's exactly what you guys are just saying. Mm-hmm. The, the idea that you would treat an infectious disease gen, generically, regardless of the, the particular health conditions or societal conditions on the ground in any particular community, let alone a broad-based culture, is ridiculously naive. Ridiculously naive that you would, you would treat an infectious disease in the United States the same as you were in the aforementioned Ecuador. All right. Where there is no middle class. OK, where, you know, if, if you're if you if, if you're under the poverty line, what is it, twenty two thousand dollars a year or something like that here in the United States? In a place like Ecuador, you'd be in the top five percent of the population. Treating it the same in these places is, is naive. It's dumb. So why are we going to do it? Because big pharma has captured these regulatory agencies as a whole. And. That's what they want is a one size fits all approach. Everybody takes the same jabs. Everybody wears the same masks. You're not a person. Hell, you're not even a patient anymore. You're a patient file. Mm-hmm. All right. You are Bob Seeger saying this song 40 years ago. All right. All right. Feel like a number. That's all you are, man. That's all you are. You're, you're, you're a yeah. number of a file. There's no unique, innate value to you anymore. Why? Because who is it that gives you? your unique innate value. Where does it okay. come from? Can you, do you have the power to claim that upon yourself? No, it is, it is conferred unto you. It is bestowed upon you from whom? God. God. And when the government removes God, as G.K. Oh, Chesterton is- uh, uh, once analyzed, the government becomes the God. Yes. That's what you're dealing with. When you won't have a real religion at the center of the public square any longer, you will get a pseudo fake demonic one like lighting up the White House in rainbow colors this week. That was a religious expression. There will be every government and every society in all of human history has always and always will be a theocracy. The only question is who is the Theo? Which is why I think one of the first, one of the first, and that's brilliantly said, um, one of the first chapters we read here in this in this book, thank God for Bitcoin, I think I remarked, when you start to devalue money, you start to devalue the human. Not that we are the same, but you are placing, placing uh, less value, less and less value on what they do, on what they produce. And that's a direct, I mean, that is a direct contradiction to uh, what we are uh, told to do. One of the first instructions God gave to humans, if not the first, be fruitful and multiply. And government comes in and devalues that. We have headlines in Canada now recently. Assisted death will save millions of dollars. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Five-year plans. From the same damn people who told us we need to shut down the playgrounds to save grandma. Mm -hmm. If it only saved one life, You are not a human being. You are either a producing widget or a useless eater in the North American economic zone to these people. That's all you are to the spirit of the age. It's absolutely, abjectly, Aaron's razor, just demonic, bro. And what you just said has been the truth of this world 
minus a biblical worldview or biblical revelation for 7,000 years of recorded human history. That has been the truth of this world. Minus biblical revelation. This has been the truth of this world. This is how this world has operated. And that's why we say today's progressives aren't progressives. They're regressives. They're taking us back to a pre-Judeo-Christian understanding of the world. A pre-Western civilization. What predated Western civilization? Well, in its resurgence after the Reformation, it was preceded by the Dark Ages. Before that, in its founding by what became known as Christendom, which was essentially the Catholic Church Christianizing Western societies, Western countries. Before that, it was just darkness. Just darkness. That's, that's what we had. That's what we're going back to. There's only two here. Light or dark. There is nothing in between. Nothing. And there never was. The darkness just told us this until it had advantage. Hegemony. And now... It's pray I don't alter the deal any further. I saw someone who thinks and has thought maybe people like us in the past were uh, um, theocratic fascists and were the reason that the right could never win and we wouldn't, wouldn't be modern or flexible with our, with our viewpoints. And he was incredulous that he's showing up on Media Matters hate lists because of he, because he's been going after pedos and groomers. I've never said I'm, I'm pro gay. I mean, we how we end up here. We were always going to end up here. Yep. This is because this is always where it intended to go. Everything else before this was a lie. Find out for yourself why we had so many positive reactions this year when we added Eden Pure's Thunderstorm Air Purifier to our stable of partners here on The Steve Day Show. Uses proven oxy technology that quickly destroys everything from viruses to odors, mold, so much more. You've got pet odors, smoke, teenage odors. You're the odor. <laughs> All right. Um, maybe it's an older home or um, and, and there's that musky smell you can't get rid of. I've heard all those positive stories from people in our audience who tried the Eden Pure Thunderstorm Air Purifier and it did the trick. I use it in my own home as well. If you want to give it a shot right now, they come in packs of three and you can get the three pack for under 200 bucks with free shipping with free shipping when you use the code steve3 that's the discount code at edenpuredeals.com again use the discount code steve3 to get three of these air purifier units they're filterless so you're never gonna have to swap out filters pay for filters out of your own pocket all right so get the the pack of three and free shipping for under 200 bucks when you use the code steve3 at edenpuredeals.com i want to read something to you guys here really quick 
I take my card and I stand in line to make a buck I work overtime. Dear sir, letters keep coming in the mail. I work my back till it's racked with pain. The boss can't even recall my name. I show up late and I'm docked. It never fails. I feel like just another spoke in a great big wheel, like a tiny blade of grass in a great big field. To workers, I'm just another drone. To Ma Bell, I'm just another phone. I'm just another statistic on a sheet. To teachers, I'm just another child. To the IRS, I'm another file. I'm just another consensus on the street. Those were lyrics penned like 40 some odd years ago by Bob Seger. That's those are the lyrics to feel like a number. Hmm. Does that kind of fit into what we were just talking about a few minutes ago? The antithesis of human flourishing. Indeed there. And that's, that's, you know, technocratic soullessness. And that's what we are at the very least flirting with, if not embracing as a people. Now let's get to three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Liar, liar, pants on fire. I actually have five questions today. Wow. Okay. It's the last three questions of the year. It identifies as the number three. Can we say that now? Yeah. The the, the five questions identify as three questions. I like it. The last four Michael are Knowles approved. Christmas related. Uh, okay. The first one is not. Yesterday we had a submission on Buy, Sell, or Old that actually got quite a bit of feedback. It was about the most unique sounding bands. Um, we all had kind of different takes on this. Todd just thought there's no unique sounding bands. That's basically <laughs> your your take, right, Todd? I don't want to misrepresent you. So I'm going to force the issue here. What popular band or successful band has the most unique sound? Can be current, past, whatever. And I'll I'll tell you mine first. Okay. Somebody and somebody submitted this. I don't remember your name or somebody uh, in a comment that I was that I was involved in mentioned this and maybe multiple people. Sorry for not remembering your name. You know who you are. And I thought this was a good take. It's Rush. And I understand that the genre That's not a bad call. The genre, actually. The genre like the up 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 speed or the uh the the, the sped up just kind of really hard guitar that's been repeated many times. What's different with Rush is that they have a very pristine, clean sound as well, which I cannot think of another band in that genre that has that kind. And I'm not a huge Rush fan. I just think they're unique in that respect. The techno aspect of it. Yeah. And then you have, you know, a, a Keith Moon level drummer virtuoso as well. That's not a bad call. That's not a bad call. Here's a, And as you were talking, this came to mind. What about Genesis? I can see that. Yeah. And if yeah. everything from Turn It On to Abacab to a more traditional rock song like Land of Confusion. I mean, there is a wide variance of musical style there, right? Well, yeah, and early on, and part, you know, Peter, they got more conventional, and that's not a rip. I love Phil Collins, but, you know, Peter Gabriel definitely fits the I was going to say, tell me, as, as, as unique... And synth-driven as the 80s was. What song from that era sounds like Sledgehammer? Yeah. I can't think of one. And if you, know? you look at his whole catalog, it's an eclectic dude. Yeah. Very eclectic. There's, it's, a, it's, a wide, it's a wide variance to get from Shock the Monkey 
to sledgehammer. Yeah. 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 So, I, but I'm, I think rush is an excellent call. I'm, I'm okay with that one. Todd. Here's the, we interpret this question in a lot of different ways, but I think when you talk the British invasion and you, I th- you hear early Beatles, you hear early Stones, uh, you hear early Who, you hear a lot of the same influences. Mm-hmm. Now, out of those three, like in terms of like the Who, you, you, we have their greats, but there's some weird stuff with the Who. Really. Yeah, Boris the Spider. Really weird stuff. Squeeze box. Those are very eclectic. So uh, you know, that's offerings, part, yeah. that's one A to this answer. Part B, coming after that on the heels to be that, to be still uh, on the heels of that, to, to be so much different. I led Zeppelin carved such a unique and profound sound right on the heels of that. They could have been copycats and yep. it could have been great that way, but they're much, much different. I, I agree. There's it's just, one, it, the there's re- one current van, band that sounds exactly like Led Zeppelin, and that's Greta Van Fleet. You guys would both love them I don't or know hate who that is, but You yeah. guys would either love them or hate them because they're just ripping off. You guys Led know Zeppelin. I'm a, you know I'm a huge Led Zeppelin fan. Huge. <laughs> this is why I didn't pick them. When we had this conversation though, because there have been upteen. Uh, I mean, attempts to emulate them because... Of, oh, that's why okay. it depends on the angle you look at it from. I sure. just like, as a departure from those three who came before them, were mm-hmm. earlier than them, and why are different in their own way, you hear their roots, their sound, and there's some similarities, and then Led Zeppelin just goes its own way. And arguably, I, you'll just as often hear best album ever, you'll hear... From Led Zeppelin with Led Zeppelin 4 before you, you have many people here before you hear a Beatles album, which is, that's saying something. Okay. All right. Moving on to question number two. It's a two-part question as well. Which Christmas song is vastly underrated or not getting enough uh, run? Go Tell It on the Mountain. Okay. Which commonly played song could be done away with completely? Um... Simply having a wonderful Christmas time, Paul McCartney. You know, I'm a huge Beatles fan, but that song is awful. Just just dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Appreciate the honesty on that. Yeah. But I think Go Tell on the Mountain. Uh, and I love the uh, James, uh, who am I thinking of? Carly Simon wrote, You're So Vain About Him. Uh, I can't remember his last name. But uh, he has a great version of it. Anne Murray has a great version of it. Todd. I'd say Go Tell on the Mountain is the I'd most underrated th- Christmas this song. This is a bit heretical, probably, and it's I've heard it twice in the last 48 hours, which isn't tough, but the 12 Days of Christmas, like, it's w- incredibly well produced, the harmonies and things like that, but you're, like, on day five, and you're like, I've got... Y- seven more verses. Give me a, yeah, give me an infomercial or James something. James Taylor is who I was yes. trying to think of earlier. Yes. Yeah. So that's the song that you, that you think is underrated or that could be done away with? That was the... It could be, like... Kick off the season with it. Okay. Maybe come back right at the end of the season with it. But, like, you can't hear that song every day. You can't. No. And that's part of the great part of this season. I love turning on that 104.1 here and hearing a bunch of songs over and over again as many times in that season. I, I, I can't do that every day. By the way, my, my daughter, Anna, let me know that 104.5 is doing, like, a bunch of the Time Life oldies Christmas hmm. kinds of music okay. all day long. So, so that's that's... That's the answer to both of those questions. It's simultaneously underrated and overplayed. 
Well, that's overplayed. Uh, underrated, I need a little bit. Go to the next one. I'll give you one. Uh, so for mine, I, I would say underrated or doesn't get enough play. And this is kind of off the board, but it's become quickly become like one of my favorite Christmas songs is All Is Well by Michael W. Smith. The studio version is with uh, Carrie Underwood. Uh, just a beautiful, beautiful song. Uh, and uh, the concert version is with... Um, you're going to this concert, Michael W. Amy yep. Grant, yep. Amy Grant. So that's my underrated slash underplayed, overrated. All I want for Christmas by Mariah Carey. I, I'm. It's now the number one best-selling I, Christmas song, I surpassing song. "White Christmas" and yeah, "Being Crosby." That actually all time. proves my point. It's way overplayed. I, I, it's probably impossible for it to not be way overplayed. Uh, given its popularity yeah. so okay you, think you, you know I, I can't uh, you know i can't say a, a, a crossword i've had a crush on the woman since 1990 i can't do you think of an underrated christmas song no i'm uh, still thinking okay. what's the next question uh what is your favorite christmas cookie slash christmas candy power rankings uh do one through five so for me and i'll start just so you can have some time to think okay Number one, I've said this before, it's like the Ritz crackers, except for me, I can't have gluten, so we find a substitute. Ritz crackers with peanut butter in between, two of them, peanut butter in between, completely covered in chocolate almond bark. So that's number one with a shot. This one, I didn't like as much when I was a kid, but it's uh, almond, uh, not, I'm sorry, um, uh, peanut brittle. Peanut brittle is great, especially if you don't overdo it, overcook it, mm -hmm. when it's still kind of a little bit chewy, that stuff is great. Uh, number three, this one's really simple, but they're really good. It's like the cho it's the, the the peanut butter cookies with the Reese's kiss or not the Reese's yep. the, the Hershey's those. kiss right in the middle. Yep. Uh, fourth one is just the chocolate covered pretzels, and then uh, number five, I like homemade caramel. Homemade caramel is is just the bomb. dot com. All right, for me, I'm gonna go number one. Uh, is my mom's homemade fudge, which is so popular, my kids clamor for it every Christmas. It's just. Just nothing but pure chocolate indulgence. And you know, I love chocolate with my chocolate. Okay. So that would be number one for me. Number two, I love mint M&Ms. I mean, I absolutely love mint M&Ms. Love them. Number three, the Cadbury mini eggs. They started producing these at Christmas time now, like little Christmas balls you put on the tree. Okay. So the fact that I don't have to wait till Easter for that candy to come out, which is my all time favorite candy. That's number three. Um, what else do I have in my house? Ghirardelli. Peppermint bark. So this I'm, is far I'm thinking, too much mint on this I, list. I'm, yes, I'm thinking of what do I make sure I get every single year. Ghirardelli peppermint bark is there. There's some other things I could pick for number five, but I'm going to pick something I don't have right now because it's very tough to come by these and have them made well. Buckeye balls. That which are basically chocolate peanut butter with like a rice crisp, like a like a you know rice crispy crunch. It's hard to find those made well, but when they're made well, they're terrific. I think we all know there's no way I'm coming up with the top five on this list. <laughs> but Even if Todd had five, yeah. he would dare not it's lower himself four, to reveal. Todd's four major food groups, vinegar, apple cider vinegar, vinegar on uh, 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 potato chips, and salt. Yeah, if you put some, I remember one finally from my childhood. It was some sort of, there, a lot of bars. This is bar seasons. So there was like a chocolate coconut in the middle kind of bar that I remember being pretty good. And then there was also one with the chocolate peanut butter, you know, and this stuff is like hard refrigerated. So when you, when you cut them into bars, they're a kind of, you know, they have a candy bar-ish mm -hmm. 
feel to it. So I remember it fondly. I just, like I said, the sweet tooth is always the last thing on my list. So I'll eat it if you put it in front of me, yeah. All right, before we get on to the rest of the list, remember, I don't know that your dog will think rough greens is as good as Ghirardelli peppermint bark, but it does taste good. At least my dog, Cap, thinks so. And even more importantly, it contains a lot of the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients that has been stripped out of your pet's food before it ever left the factory, let alone before you bought it at the store. For the same reason they do that with the people food these days, all this mass distribution and processing, uh, the stuff goes bad too soon if they leave all that healthy stuff in there, so they have to take it out. That's why we take so many supplements these days, to put it right back in there and and now with Rough Greens, there's the supplement for your pet. You mix it in with your pet's food in order to get the good stuff back into your pet's diet. But you might be wondering, what if my pet doesn't like it, right? What if I, you know, don't see a noticeable difference in my pet's health or behavior? All fair questions to ask, which is why we give you the first 14-day Jumpstart bag for free when you go to roughgreens.com. R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com. Or you can call them at 833-ROUGH-DOG. We do ask that you'll pick up the tab for the shipping. A little quid pro quo. You know, we, we want you to be invested in this, so you'll actually give the pet the product because we think it'll be good for your pet. But we'll pick up the bigger expense with the bag. That's roughgreens.com. R-U-F-F for Rough Greens or 833-ROUGH-DOG. Um, we may need to su- uh, you know, just uh, supersede the, f- the final two questions here. Apparently, Trump has endorsed something called the Digital Bill of Rights. Have you heard of this? And that was his big announcement today. This is even worse because now this is overshadowed. If this was supposed to be the big deal that it was, it's overshadowed by this silly NFT thing. Whatever. Question four. What are the odds you think that they just came up with that because of the backlash to the NFT cards? 95%. High. High. As the robot in Rogan said, high. Yes, (laughs) very high. Uh, What's your favorite current Christmas ornament and why? On your tree right now. Um, We have a very um, lavish, long... Um, ornament on our tree every year that it's a bright red you can't miss it and you can't hang it it's too long and so we have to like place it like right in the middle of the tree on the branch all right that says jesus is the reason for the season that's probably my favorite or i love stuff where santa bows to jesus i mean i love that so much I, i bought one of those for my yard ornament outdoors last year and i have it installed in my yard and lit up with uh with hd lighting Okay, just to make my point, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, but those would probably be my two favorites. And my Superman ornament. I got to get the underrated song in. My wife oh, rem- yeah. reminded me there is, and I've talked about it on the show before. I haven't heard it yet this year because I have to play it for myself. Nobody knows about it, but there is this great acoustic guitarist named Trace Bundy. And he does this acoustic version with this singer named Josh Garrels of O Come O Come Emmanuel. Just Google it. Trace Bundy, Josh Carroll's O Come O Come Emmanuel blows, absolutely blows your mind. When you hear a song that you've heard a hundred times and it's done in a way that When it's like, done well, I agree. Yeah. It's just, I don't, I've not heard it done well very often, but when it is done well, Trust me, I agree. you will be rewarded by hearing this. I and mean, the haunting version of it that opens up the Nativity story movie, for example. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, yeah. That's yes, very yes. well done. Yeah. Josh Garrels is excellent, by the way, Todd. Oh, you know, I'm okay. Uh, yes. So we won't have uh, time for uh, question number five, and that's okay. This is a good thing, too. I'm actually going off the board, um, so I violated the, the premise of my own question. Uh, ornaments on my parents' Christmas tree, just a beautiful 
uh, kind of a, it's not real gold, but a tin gold uh, plated uh, nativity where you put one of the lights up in there and it just uh, lights up. Beautiful ornaments. I've always liked that. Always liked that when I was a kid as well. Very good. I guess we're done here. That was a good show. Yeah, we'll stick around, record overtime for Blaze TV subscribers for the rest of you. We are back at it tomorrow. Our final normal dace group of the year, Jill Savage, will join us. So looking forward to that, plus some feedback Friday. Uh, until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.